Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the plan? Do we have to like choose ourselves? Is that a thing? Yeah, well, we never do. Okay, right. let's start again. Okay. Well, I, I think all that was gold. Wait, you know, it's not anything else. The poor yeah. ball. The intros oh. to every podcast when it's the two of us is like nutty. They're completely useless. Uh, nutty, like peanuts. Yes. Yeah, see? This is a, nutty like peanuts. Nutty like peanuts. Um, oh, I think that's, yeah, but you know, yeah, we really don't, we, our, our intros, well, like sometimes we're talking about mug cakes. No, everyone would really want to know about mug cakes now, uh, or would have wanted to know about mug cakes had we not gone into that, into that much depth. It's true. We could check the Google trends and see if it got searched more like moving to Canada. Right. Okay. So welcome to the stories we don't tell podcast. I'm Brianne. And I'm Stefan. And today we're going to talk about origin stories. Yes. Which is a term we just made up. Um, well, okay, fine. Is it like, I, I guess it's like, I guess it was a term. It's not a term we made up. Obviously, origin stories exist everywhere. But I yeah. guess we've brought it to a new context. It's a term that we have decided to appropriate. Okay. Yeah. For like, our own purposes and a thing that we want to talk about. Yes. Because like origin stories, yeah, generally, you know, there's an origin myth and there's a whatever. Well, and it's like also it's all, superheroes. Yeah, I was going to say all superheroes have origin stories. Yeah. It's, um, you definitely didn't make it up. Well, fine. I, I, I meant make it up for this purpose. It, it, more of like a, we, fine, we co-opted it. Yeah. We have co-opted okay. the term origin stories. And now we're going to explain what we mean when we say it. Yes. And the, and the interesting things that happen when someone tries to tell their first story. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, often their first story. Yeah. We, I, I will often say that sometimes it's not. Um, that, that, but we'll get into that in a half a second. Um, so, uh, this is my best attempt to explain what I think about origin stories are, and then you can refute me or agree with me. Okay, great. I like um, the options. Yeah, these are the two options. Uh, so when I understand the term origin stories to me in the context of story of true storytelling, mm-hmm. um, is the idea that often when someone comes with their first story, uh, they want, when they write the first time we see it, it ends up being one story that's very important that happened to them, but it sort of ends up pulling in a bunch of other little pieces of their life. Uh, and the reason I think that often becomes is normally when the first story, when someone really feels compelled to tell a story uh, after a storytelling event, often that story is like, I guess some sense, the first, uh, the way I describe it is the first time they sort of felt like themselves or, or, or what sort of led them to feel, led them to sort of now feel like the way they do currently, um, which can change. You could sit there and have a second origin story later on in your life that can change your entire opinion. Um, but I feel like that's, I think it's often early, it ends up being relatively early on in life. Um, and it sort of has that like profound impact that when you hear, when you want to tell it, uh, you feel like it's so important to you and such a big part of your life that you try to explain all of the little other ways that story, that the reason why the story really feels important to you. And so you try to tie in these other smaller aspects of things and then bunch them all together into one story. Mm-hmm. Um, to be like, to, to really get, because I, f- I feel like it comes from this place of really wanting the audience to understand just how important this moment was. Yes. I think I agree with you. I think I would explain it a little bit differently. Okay, how would you explain it? Um, that instead of explaining kind of how you feel the way that you feel, I feel like was your terminology in the present. It's like how you became the person that you are today. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I would say that, but I would say it in almost like blaming language. Like it is the excuse that you have for everything that you do that 
maybe you don't like or maybe you do like but it's the it's the moment or it's the situation that you use as an explanation Mm. so um like it could be something that comes up a lot on dates or job interviews or when you meet new friends you you kind of gather all of these anecdotes and they all relate to the same kind of thing and as you develop language for it it could be anything right like for me uh for me, I talk a lot about my dad and that's because my dad died when I was pretty young and he had Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was a teenager. And so like that for me became really formative. And it also became something that was like, well, of course I was like this because this informed everything else about me and it informed all of my decisions. And that's a story that I tell myself, of course, because that's what we do as people. <laughs> but we all have these things that we have told in these little tiny uh, anecdotes as we've met new people or as we've felt like we needed to explain ourselves. And so I think it kind of comes together that way as well, th- mm. that we collect all those anecdotes and we're like, this, this is the reason. Right. And then when you hear someone telling a story that, that does that, you're like, oh, I have a story like that. Right. And I've never told the full version. I've only told the date anecdote or the job interview anecdote or the like leadership conference three in the morning bonding anecdote. Yeah, well, I, th- well, I think there's also an like an extra element of that in which we mention these anecdotes that are surrounding it. Um, often those are also the sort of things that you sort of end up pulling into to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, like so you have a story uh, that that you know that really changed you, but then you want to sort of explain all of you, right? You, because this you know this is like the big thing. But you also want to get so you end up pulling in like, but also I'm really romantic. Why is that the case? Well, it's this other thing that's going to throw into this into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get, so you sort of end up gathering sort of all of your little anecdotes sometimes, yeah. or like you just you really feel this, and I've felt this too when I've been writing pieces. Um, this wanting to pull in these other pieces that like inform the story slightly. It's like, well, and this person did it because of this. Right. It's like you don't just want to explain the way that you think that you can explain yourself. You want to explain all of your actions in the story and also all of everyone else's actions in the story as much as you think that you can. Yeah, because you, you have all of the information to have made those assumptions, so you want the audience to have that information too. Yeah, exactly. You want Because you want the, I think I think it comes from sort of a sense of you want the audience to be there as much as possible with you. Yeah. And so they want them, you want to get them all of the context as to why this one thing mattered so much. In part, because like, I feel like, to some extent, if you get rejected by, like if you feel like if your story bombs, then that's sort of rejecting the most core of yourself to some extent. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you tell an origin story that someone doesn't think, that that doesn't react, no one reacts to, then that sort of comes into question your whole self. And so I think people sort of try to defend against that and guard against that by adding in all of these other anecdotes. Yeah, like to explain as much as possible. Do you think you've ever seen that happen? Um, well, I, I've definitely seen people come to it on our brunches sure, uh, and sure. then we've sort of gone through and be like, actually, this is another story or yeah. you don't need this part or you don't need this, don't need this part. You know, I, I, I think, and I've done it too, you know, I've come mm-hmm. with stories and I, and I, and some people are like, why did you even say that weird part of this? And I'm like, well, it's so important. And they're yeah. like, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, I can't think of one exact, exact example where it's made it all the way through. Well, yeah. Well, I just mean if, if we're talking about it as a fear, I want to clarify basically that like it's, it's a fear and it's a well-founded fear, but don't be fooled into thinking that people get up and do this and then bomb. No, of course not. Like it just just sounds like it's a real possibility. Oh, right. No, sorry. I, I would argue that 
like even if you added all the other things in, usually the origin stories are so powerful that people will be there with you anyways. Mm-hmm. But I think it's uh, but I think it's key to remember the fact that you will be telling you can tell more stories. Right. That's the other thing, right? Is that I think also people sense that like sometimes if they're only telling one story that they want to get a bunch of stories in there because they don't see themselves as telling another story. Yeah. Whereas you're gonna whereas I want to inform you now uh, that like if you tell one story, you can tell another one. And also because it's your life, so you're yeah. like, well, I'm one person, so the narrative of my life is one story. Mm-hmm. It's like no, actually, you can you can not mention people or events, and that's still true. Yeah, like you can just kind of pull it apart as much as you want to, and you're still you're not being dishonest. You're not whatever misrepresenting your life. So you can just kind of identify a moment, which would be let's talk about origin stories and how to not fix them because there's mm-hmm. a couple different things. But let's talk about like what are some solutions if if somebody comes in and they're like, I wrote everything and you can't tell who anybody is and I don't know when it starts and when it ends. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, and I honestly, I often think that origin stories aren't even usually that bad. I think often origin stories are a real story, but you just end up being like a, but you didn't really need this one part or or people want to wrap up origin stories. They want to, mm. they want to explain where they are now. Yeah. And if you, and, and now I'm this person. Exactly. Because like th- that's, that's the ending to them. The ending, to them, the ending for them is I'm this person now. Yeah. Whereas you often don't need that. You can cut in actually and make the story better by cutting that kind of ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, so I think the biggest thing is to look for the strongest sort of actual core story. Um, and then accept that someone else might want to trim the fat to some extent. You know, mm-hmm. look at your story and be like, okay, well, here's this, here's this, here's the story I have. Um, what do I need? What don't I need? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I get feedback from people. Like, I think, if anything, this is the one place where feedback is the most useful because other people will tell you what you don't necessarily need in a story. Yeah, like uh, what they found confusing or distracting. Yeah. Because those are the big questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so your options when you come in with like, well, everything, everything that happened in your life between the ages of like 13 and 18, let's say. Or even just like, I tell you one story, but then you have to like, you brought in like eight things that like you flash back 17 times. Mm-hmm. Yes. I do that all the time. Hmm. <laughs> um, so you have a couple different options. So one of them is to make a hard choice and pick one moment and then actually decide that you're not going to talk about anything else. Yeah. So you're going to actually tell us about one day and that one day is going to be a symbol of all of these things that you want to talk about. So the experience or the whatever. And that one day you get to take a little bit of creative license with. So if there was something that happened a lot and you're like, well, factually, I don't know if it happened on the same day that this other thing happened with, you can merge them. Mm -hmm. You can make them all one day and you can just tell that one linear story of this larger experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you can, and and that allows you to sort of, and then trust your audience, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you have to sort of expect, you can't, the last thing I think that can come happen with the stories is you get too focused on wanting people to really understand it. Yeah. And so you tell instead of show. Yeah. Because you're like, no, you really have to understand. Will they get it? Yeah, this is why this is happening to me. Yeah, they'll get it. And they'll get it. Yeah, exactly. So trusting your audience, I think, is extra important for what, you know, quote-unquote origin stories. Uh, because if you if you don't, then you end up sort of really, really just trying to tell people the thing. And they'll get it. Yeah. And then the other thing that you can do, if you do want to cover a lot of ground, is you can decide that you're going to time travel a little bit. Hmm. So you're going to worry less about your transitions and you're going to really hyper focus on a couple different moments that really, that we can feel with you. Mm. And so it's like, this is a moment at 13. This is a moment at 16. This is a moment at 18. And then we're going to know the characters or we're going to know some of the details or your interests or your whatever that kind of travel through them. And then we'll be able to trace those themes or people or whatever. And then those will tell us 
everything that we need to know. Like yeah. that will be the story is the unifying elements between your anecdotes. Yeah, and I think the one way to decide which one of those two ways you want to go is depending on what kind of story your story, what kind of thing your origin is from. If your origin, and sometimes like if your origin story is one moment that mm-hmm. changed your life, then the, the single day or single moment will work better. But if it's one sort of idea or concept or, or life fact about you, Mm-hmm. Um, then you can actually then then that sort of vignettes over time is actually probably more effective. Mm-hmm. And it's how because then you can show us how it it changed what it meant to you changed because the way that you interpret the facts of your life the facts of your existence at five is really different than the way that you'll interpret it at fifteen because you know more and you know different things and so you can just take us through those two moments and as an audience like we're smart so we're going to understand that you're telling us about this and that that we can fill in the blanks a little bit that. Mm-hmm like a lot happened in between and your perspective has shifted and that's what you're talking about. You don't have to say like, well, between five and 15, my perspective really shifted. Yeah, we know we get it. Yeah. Um, and what a great example of the second sort of option actually, uh, is the story we're about to play, Mm -hmm. uh, which is from Elena. Uh, and her story is, is, well, we'll let you listen to it, but it's, she does a very good job of actually sort of using this sort of vignette tactic Mm -hmm. as a way to sort of get, cover a ton of ground. Mm -hmm. And yet it still flows and still feels cohesive, uh, because it's, it, each story is each one, she uses the same theme of, of what's caring for in her life. Um, and, and strong vignettes and sort of the, the, sort of the, the other, one of the two ways you can really use to tell a good origin story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so with that, take it away. that it would be in a Starbucks, in the middle of suburbia, sipping on my black coffee while a cute hipster was drinking his latte, soy, vanilla, something or other, telling me stories of his family that I would realize I had finally accepted my own origin story. So, what does one do when one comes to term with one's origin story? Apparently, you tell it to a room full of strangers. Mid-May, 1991. My parents are in the midst of washing the dishes one evening when the phone rings. My mom answers. It's the call they've been waiting for. We have a baby, but you would have to leave tomorrow to pick her up. Are you still interested? Frantically, my parents drive around to the store to pick up baby supplies, to my aunt's house to pick up hand-me-downs, And the next day, my mom is on a plane heading to Bucharest, Romania to adopt a baby. From Bucharest to Corny on a small army plane, equipped with overly armed military personnel due to the recent political contentions and downfall of Romania's former leader, Nicolae Corcescu. In a tiny apartment in a small northern town, my mom meets my birth mother, my birth sister, and me for the first time. My brother by birth is away at the grandmother's for the day. My match to my parents was purely random. My mom was the closest to the van door at this house stop. Whoever was next in line was about to be her daughter. Growing up, I never really thought about it. It was a small minor detail that didn't really matter. At times, it was something special. My best friend Lisa, who was adopted with me, found it to be a great story a reason why our friendship was more special than any other. 
Did you know that as babies we slept in a suitcase together? We could actually be related. We tell anyone who would listen. And for a long time, my friendship with Lisa and having a second loving family, her family, was the only reminder of my adoption. Being adopted is not something you're constantly reminded of. There's no physical demarcation that leaves me standing out against everyone else. Quite often, I forget that I am. Quite often, I forget that it is a thing until I am reminded by others that it is, apparently, a thing. If my memory serves me right, it was at my first job that I was faced with the thought that I might be different. Some colleagues, my boss included, had got onto the conversation of adoption. I looked up from my work. Adoption? People talk about this? I felt my face get hot as I sat listening to them silently. I just feel so sorry for them. How could you grow up your whole life knowing you weren't wanted? Well, that's why those adopted kids grow up being so fucked up. It's what happens when you're not loved. Lying on the couch in the basement, wrapped in the arms of my ex, the only serious long-term partner I've ever had, just as the movie we were watching had finished, somehow the conversation of adoption came up. At the time, I brushed it off, unwilling to discuss it, unable to hear what he was saying anymore as my ears started ringing and I had to focus my attention on the fact that my stomach was attempting to drop out of my body. It's crucial to me that if I have a child, that it is my own. I mean a child with my own blood. Why? Well, it's just not the same, you know? You won't be as connected to the child. It's just not the same. You don't understand. It was a few summers back that Lisa's mom planned a lunch with the woman that set up our adoptions. A few hours drive to Welland, Ontario, sitting in a Jack Astor's that was in desperate need of renovations, Lisa and I met the adoption lady for the first time. It was here that I learned the detailed versions of my origins. It was here that I realized my being was a repercussion of a controlling political regime that forced a country into poverty. And a wonderful consequence of this woman's lifelong mission, the woman whose name I cannot seem to remember. She was born and grew up in Romania under the brutal regime of Nicolae Cochescu. Under his control in an attempt to increase birth, the declining birth rate, abortion was banned. Women were given medals for the number of children they had, and there was a childlessness tax. Yet, as the birth rate increased, Cochescu had the idea that the state could raise children better than parents, and hundreds and thousands of children were put into state institutions. During this time, Romania's economy crumbled. There's huge amounts of foreign debt, and new policies drastically shoved many into a state of poverty. That meant more children under state care and less money to care for the children. This is where the adoption lady comes in. While biting into her club sandwich, she told us how the sounds of children crying from the orphanage are her strongest memories of her life in Romania. That when she had immigrated to Canada, their cries continued to haunt her dreams. So, 
When the horrors of Romania's orphanages started to make headlines and international adoption became permitted, this woman dedicated her life to setting up adoptions. She would travel to far she would travel into tiny towns to find pregnant women. Those who wanted to attempt sketchy abortions to not have to deal with the shame of a bastard child, she would keep safe. Those who knew that the state would take away their children, she would find them new homes. Page 168 of my Developmental Psychology of Children's textbook will explain to you the various detrimental effects of neglect during the first six months of development. It will describe to you how Romania's orphans are the perfect case study due to the high numbers of children in these institutions and the extreme levels of neglect. A bottle tied to the crib to feed, a spray of the hose for a shower, toys pinned to the wall to look at but never touch, and of course the absolute absence of human contact. I guess you could consider me a lucky one. I was only two weeks old when I was adopted. I never had to spend time in such places. Later that evening, when we returned home, my dad was waiting for us sitting at the kitchen table. I sat down as he began telling me his story of my adoption. Having remained in Canada, he told me that all he remembered was the phone call from my mom the night before she was supposed to come home. I don't think we're getting a baby, she told him. The lines at the courthouse were long. She'd been working, she'd been waiting five days. My birth mother was restless after missing five days of work she couldn't afford to miss. Everyone else's adoptions had gone through. We were the last. I thought back to something that the adoption lady had said at Jack Astor's that I hadn't paid much attention to then. I remember your group. Your group was the last group that I took out of Romania before international adoption was banned in the early 90s. Fast forward to my first date after the breakup of my longest and most serious relationship. We're sitting in a Starbucks in the middle of suburbia. Me with my black coffee. Him with one of those fancy drinks I never know how to order. And things are going great. And just when I begin to think to myself that there are other people out there that I can have this connection with again, he decides to tell me the story of his cousin, who isn't really his cousin. What do you mean he isn't really your cousin? Well, he's adopted, you know? He's not blood. He's not part of the family. This time, my stomach doesn't drop. I smile back at him, politely excuse myself from our date, and go back home to watch a movie with my family. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. 
thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of Stories We Don't Tell is brought to you by Early Bedtimes. Early Bedtimes, because sometimes you need it. Sometimes you want to go running in the morning. Fine. Sometimes you just get up really early. You do? Yeah. I get up at 6.30 today. Oh, wow. That was late. That does sound late.